Hello and welcome to Front Page Radio with your host, international author, broadcaster, and journalist Dan Wooding, the founder of Assist Ministries and the Assist News Service. Dan, who was born in Nigeria of British missionary parents, was raised in England and later worked for some of Great Britain's largest newspapers. He has been a journalist covering the world for some 47 years now with a focus on persecuted Christians and missions. And now, here's Dan Wooding with today's guest. Hi there, this is Dan Wooding speaking to you once again from North Wales. And I wanted to begin today's program with a short item from somebody that you all know called Pastor Chuck Smith. He wrote this as the foreword to a book called Blind Faith, which I helped to co-author. And this is what he wrote. It wasn't just the Beatles that came from Liverpool, England. So did a committed young Christian woman called Anne Wooding, who decided she wanted to take the long and winding road in the 1930s from this bustling seaport on the River Mersey to teach the age-old message of love and salvation of faith in Jesus Christ to the physically and spiritually blind people of Nigeria, West Africa. Most of you now know that I was born in Nigeria, but I thought it would be lovely for you to meet my sister Ruth, who was actually born in Liverpool, and uh, tell you the story of blind faith. The story of Anne Wooding, also known as Nancy Wooding. So, Ruth, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's it's nice to be with you again. And it's lovely to have you living closer to us so that we see each other more often. Ruth, not, not very long ago, I was in Anfield, Liverpool, to watch a soccer game, to watch Liverpool play Chelsea. I found a place called Crete Gospel Hall. And that was where my mum found the Lord and actually got involved in the Christian life. So let's go back and first of all, let's tell the story of our our own mother, an extraordinary lady. She was born in Liverpool but got off to a pretty bad start. I believe she lost her mother very early on. Yes, her mother died when she was only four years old and she was the youngest of the family. By then, three of her siblings had died very, very young and tiny, and she was the last one and survived. And uh, her mum had been uh, the daughter of a lady called Mrs Tanswell, who ran a boarding house for seafarers who were coming into the port of Liverpool and needed accommodation. And her mother ran this lodging house and uh, this is where she had a romance with one of the sailors <laughs> whose name was Samuel Blake who had run away to sea when he was 14 years old he spent 20 years in the Navy uh, at some point he married Edith Tanswell and in time when he retired from the sea he ran a public house a public house, for those of you not in the know, it's a pub. Yes. It's where people go to drink. So she did all the cooking for all these people who were working probably on the docks and the uh, the boats who would come in for their meals. And she was a very busy lady running a family as well. And very sadly, she contracted pneumonia and she died very quickly. And my mother... 
was the youngest of the family. The oldest was 13, and there were two brothers uh, in between those two ages, and um, eventually had to move to another part of the city where my grandfather went back on the sea a little bit, working on the pilot ships and boats that work up and down the River Mersey, bringing in and bringing in the big the big uh, ships, sailing ships. Now I I mentioned this um, Crete Gospel Hall in Anfield, mm. which is believe it or not still there after all these years. Mm. What was her connection with that uh, little church? She was walking round the district because she didn't live far away when there was an open air meeting going on and she got chatting to the people and they were just giving a very simple uh, uh, gospel message but also saying the importance of knowing God's call and maybe God was calling some of these folk who were listening to actually be missionaries to go out with the gospel and uh, mom always had this desire even though she didn't understand why uh, to be a missionary and so she follows them in and there's a, a a whole crowd of people in one room praying for this outreach work and they took those others that were coming in with them uh, and uh, led mum to the Lord and then took her into this other room where everybody had been praying to give uh, her first testimony <laughs> of how she'd just come that she was completely floored with all these people there but she immediately witnessed to that call of the Lord and uh, it was this lovely church that eventually some years down the line encouraged her to go and do her missionary training in London and uh, and go forward with a, a missionary society called the Sudan Interior Mission. Now, she finally went off, but before that, she trained in Braille. She learned the, uh, how to use and teach Braille. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Well, what, how she got, became interested in the, in the blind... Uh, was that she got a little job and it was a connection at the church where there was a young lady there who was totally blind who used to sell tea and had people uh, in different roads around the area but needed an escort with her to help her and mum offered to take the job well she loved this lady this young woman so much she was just so wonderful and a lovely christian lady that that then got her interested in training to read braille and uh, get a qualification for this so when she left her missionary training college uh, the work was going to be uh, in some way opening up a work among blind people and originally it was going to be in the land of Ethiopia but at that point when she was ready to leave uh, Mussolini had invaded Ethiopia and the country was shut down and uh, she then had to spend quite a lot of time doing a bit of auxiliary nursing in London whilst um, another uh, mission field was found for her which eventually turned out to be northern Nigeria uh, possibly at the start working in a big city called Kano 
where she and another lady were able to set up a school for the blind and they found little blind beggars on the streets where they would start to teach them braille and eventually must have found premises somewhere and they started a school which actually continued for many many years and years down the line when she was well back living in the UK uh, she would receive letters in braille from the principal of this school who turned out to be the first blind beggar boy she ever met on the streets of Carno. Let's just go to the pier head in Liverpool where the big liners left and there were a group of people waving them off. My mum was in the ship. I believe there was a little gentleman in the crowd called Alfred Wooding who would go there. It would be a typical thing that if somebody from the area was going off as a missionary you'd go to the pier head and wave them off and uh, we we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for Alfred and Anne Wooding so tell us now a little bit about his story well he grew up in an area called Toxtus which is quite close to the river uh, in a very very big family of 10 children his father uh, was a cartier. He drove uh, big cart horses and we're not quite sure whether he was one of the cartiers that would go down to the ships and uh, take off what goods had to be delivered or whether he actually worked as a dustbin man <laughs> and was, was actually on the dust carts. We're not really very sure but uh, we have one photograph or we did have of him dressed in his best suit and a bowler hat because the uh, the horse he looked after uh, was always on show when there was a, uh, on the May Day parade down in the centre of Liverpool when all these horses would have their hair plaited with pretty ribbons and so on and everybody paraded around and uh, there's a lovely photograph somewhere I think a cousin has now got it uh, where he was but he Alfred Wooding he was actually number nine out of ten children so there was a great age gap in his family but one of his older brothers started going to a Liverpool City mission mission and came to the Lord and he led Alfred to the Lord when he was 19 and both of them felt called to missionary work but my father for some years uh, was a butcher and worked in a butcher's shop and he used to have to ride this bike delivery bike with a great big basket on and one of his jobs was to deliver meat to the the big hotels down in the centre of Liverpool and one day he even carted down half of a cow <laughs> to the uh, at one of the big uh, hotels there and broke the bike obviously as well <laughs> in the process and had to face a very irate boss when he got back but he ended up training up in Scotland in a Bible training college there and uh, he was definitely destined to go to Nigeria so they actually met in the language school and I understand he had quite a patter where he brought along a copy of the local paper Yes, well, his family always sent out the Liverpool Echo, which was the paper with all the local news. And he, most of the folk in the college at that point were American folk. Um, and then 
in comes this little Liverpool girl who was only five foot tall like him. He was very short. And uh, they got very friendly reading the Liverpool Echo and uh, eventually a romance started and uh, the rest is history really but he without before they were married he actually was posted out to a very remote area a little village I think it was called Ism and he had to run a mission station there uh, all on his own and he had a houseboy called Baba that uh, helped him out and uh, started a little church there and it was actually quite a big Muslim area but um, there was a tremendous somehow respect for one another going on there and uh, there never seemed to be any difficulty and then when he eventually married mom she uh, obviously joined him there and she would do a little bit of medical work as well now those of you who have never met my mum she was pretty tough lady and she would constantly be at war with the local witch doctors <laughs> and they had a rule apparently that if a if a lady if a nigerian girl died in childbirth it was obviously the kid's fault and so they would bury the kids alive and my mum would follow them and then she'd dig them up and save many lives and yeah. get them adopted. She was an amazing lady. But they got married in Kano, and I turned up. Um, I had nothing to do with it, but I turned up a year later being born at Vom Christian Hospital, which was quite a long way away. And it took um, more than 24 hours for the news to get from Vom to the village where Dad was in Nissim. And he called all the locals together. Somebody had walked, I think, through the night with the information. And so on the Friday, my dad called the chiefs together and asked them to give me a Nigerian name or a Hausa name, which was the local language. And so they called me Sdanjuma, which means son of Friday. And my dad hadn't got the heart to tell them that I was born on a Thursday. So I got off to a pretty bizarre start. So I still use my email as danjuma1 at AOL.com because uh, we got off to a bad start and I can see the humor of it. But what was so extraordinary was the, the work that they did there in this community. And, and I was told, Ruth, that... They would uh, pack me as a little baby into my dad's bike at the front and use me as a, a tool to get the people to come out to hear the gospel. <laughs> and so I would be taken out to these little villages as a, a very small child. And, uh, and uh, the kids, the people would come out to see this little white kid and then my dad would give them the gospel. But after two years, he got very sick and something extraordinary happened. It was called World War Two. Tell us what happened when uh, he found out that he needed to come back to Liverpool. Well, originally there were three of you there um, and uh, had been, mum and dad had actually both been out there for six years in very remote area and really needed uh, to get back to the UK for a break and uh, furlough as it was called in those days. And so they travelled for six weeks zigzagging U-boats and all sorts of dreadful things in 1942 
to get back to the UK and then I was born in 43 and after some time dad applied to try and get back to Africa to try and relieve other people who were uh, caught in the middle of this war and not able to get home and so we went back on his own and unfortunately that was when he took very ill because the water was very bad where uh, they lived uh, it always had to be boiled he had to be very careful what they ate one thing and another and I think without mother's supervision over all this domesticity um, dad really took very very poorly and so mum was left with relatives living in Liverpool with us two and uh, he was very very sick a long way away from home and in fact they didn't think that they would be able to bring him home that he would survive the journey and she was about to put us both in a children's home for a few months while she went to try and see if she could nurse dad when they finally cabled her and said they'd found a nurse who was prepared to travel with him and that they'd bring him home so uh, he arrived back looking so ill like a skeleton he needed a lot of treatment at the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine and was really quite a poorly person for a very long time and in the in the midst of all this as he began to recover and was told he must never go abroad again to a tropical country he began to pray about where he should be working in the British Isles and was going to go into working among Jewish people and was asked to open up a work in the city of Birmingham. Which I always remember that because we were just a couple of kids and um, my dad had this pretty uh, terrible place that he found us in, in, it was called Brighton Road, Borsal Heath. I think uh, there were all sorts of, it was like a red light area. Across the road was, was a pub where there'd be fights every night and Ruth and myself would sit and watch the fights and watch the police come and <laughs> arrest the people. And uh, it was pretty bad. And then my dad um, would go out to find Jewish people to share about the Messiah. And many of these people were people from the Holocaust. And so they weren't very appreciative of a Christian coming in because they looked upon Hitler as a Christian, which of course he wasn't. But uh, they, they, anyone who really wasn't was a non-Jew and a non-Muslim must have been a Christian. And uh, so it was a very difficult work that my dad did. But fortunately, uh, we found a better place to live. But the thing was that my mum could never let go of Nigeria and so they ran a Sunday school where the kids had to learn to sing choruses in the house of language now you know if you, those of you who've ever heard Ozzy Osbourne try and speak all of the Sunday school class were like Ozzy Osbourne people and they're now trying to sing in a foreign language it was very bizarre but for them Ruth it was very difficult wasn't it because they loved Africa and coming back to England, the war, we you know the end of the war and the, all the poverty and the terrible stuff. Did they ever recover from coming back from, from Africa? 
Well, I think both of them went through bad times. Um, Dad was very, very good at the language and one of the jobs he would do, um, because Nigeria was uh, uh, colonised by, by the British, um, there were governors across the, uh, the country and uh, Dad was sometimes asked to go and help with various uh, reasons, perhaps possibly there was some kind of tribal dispute going on that he needed to go and find out about for um, those in charge of the area and he was always very patient with these people and able to try and get to the bottom of what the issues were and try and resolve it with them. It could take days of negotiation. Sometimes he was asked to take medicines round as well if there were uh, bad infections going round he would have to deliver the medical stuff as well so there was a lot of it was quite a different country to what it would be now well we were both raised in um, Birmingham and um, Ruth taught in school there for a while she even went to the same bible college as my mum and uh, she now lives with her husband Alan in uh, in Liverpool and we're living in North Wales about an hour's drive from Liverpool and uh, the book we were talking about that Pastor Chuck very kindly did the foreword was called Blind Faith and um, if you go to net, you can probably learn a bit more about the book but it was I found out that my mum had actually written a manuscript um, and she's sort of hidden it away and so uh, when I came back from my dad's funeral so many years ago now, she showed it to me and I said, oh, can I turn this into a book? And because, you know, her work was with the blind, um, it was so moving to learn the story. But the tragedy was in the end, Ruth, she went blind herself, didn't she? Yes, she did. Yes, she had what was um, supposedly a very simple cataract operation, which for her went wrong and uh, she became um, partially sighted and registered as partially sighted. But like in everything else, she had great fortitude and somehow or other managed uh, to still carry on doing all kinds of bits and bobs like crocheting. She loved to crochet. She always crocheted her own little waistcoats and she would make uh, crocheted blankets. We've all still got these blankets on our beds that she made in rainbow colours with all the oddments of uh, wool she could find um, and she kept very busy really and although she had difficulty reading um, she still managed to read large print books and would always uh, uh, the library would come to the place where she lived and she could change books and enjoy reading still. And uh, I took her along to a Christian ministry, uh, which is international, uh, called uh, Torch Trust for the Blind, which started in England uh, 60 years ago when a, a couple began to uh, find students from a local college for the blind were coming into church on Sunday and they had no resources and that was the beginning of them finding resources 
and it blossomed and blossomed until fellowship groups were also founded around different areas of the country where people could congregate once a month and have a little get-together, a lovely little service and a nice little meal afterwards. And my mum became part of that as she got older. And here I am, at nearly 30 years down the line, still going to this Torch Fellowship Group where my mother was because I play for the service they have. <laughs> so here I am in my mid-70s and I'm still going over there and enjoying the fellowship too. Well, my friend Rick Wakeman wrote uh, on the back of this uh, book, Anne Wooding has, through this powerful book, exhibited a blind faith that all of us could benefit from. Thank you, Rick. That was very nice for you to say so. Ruth, what would you say was the biggest lesson you'd learned from our parents? Oh, I think it was the power of prayer. They prayed always and covered everything in prayer. We'd been covered in prayer when we were conceived uh, and all through our lives they were praying for us um, and were always there for us. So it was a great loss to lose them. Uh, but certainly trusting in the Lord, knowing to walk with him was the way forward always, that he would never fail us. Ruth Ross, now it is. It was Ruth Wooding. It's now Ruth Ross. I want to thank you for being on the programme. Thank you. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'll have a nice cup of tea now, please. <laughs> <laughs> You have been listening to Front Page Radio with international journalist Dan Wooding. If you would like a free subscription to the Assist News Service, log on to www.assistnews.net. And if you would like to write to Dan, send an email to assistnews at aol.com. Tune in again for another edition of Front Page Radio on this same station.